0: I am uh, best known for a message I once gave on God's wrath. I was during a series called The God Anthology and as the teaching team was entering our first round draft picks for the attribute of God's nature that we would preach on, Pastor Mark actually said to me, um, Heather, why don't you play to your strengths and teach on God's wrath? And so I opened the message by rattling off about half a dozen scriptures that talked about God's wrath. Wrath, and uh, it's amazing to me how many people still reference that message. What's shocking to me is how many people like came for the first time <laughs> during that message and are still among us. It, it seems I've just become the, the the preacher who is known for making sure that everybody knows that they are a sinner and totally depraved. So tonight, I'm going to talk about the other side of wrath, and that's grace. I guess this is my own little way of trying to get past my past. Um, I I say the other side of of wrath because I don't see wrath and grace as being at opposite ends of the spectrum of God's nature. I I think they're kind of two sides of the same coin. I think that they work together. I believe that God's wrath activates his grace, and his grace is activated for our good. His wrath is aimed at anything that separates him from what he loves. That's why he hates sin. Here are a couple of examples. The first time we see God's wrath activated is in the Garden of Eden after the fall, and it is poured out on an animal. His innocent, perfect, spotless creation is killed in order to cover Adam and Eve his wrath turns into grace for them the greatest display of his wrath was seen on the cross as all of god's wrath was poured out on jesus christ so that by grace we could be saved so tonight or this weekend what i want to do is talk about grace so if you're here with us for the first time this weekend you can breathe a deep sigh of relief we're not talking about wrath we're talking about grace We're coming to the end of the series, Did God Really Say? It's about the twisted truth that masquerades as biblical truth that we've embraced. It's it's the lies that we tell and the lies that we believe and the lies we embrace often based on bad theology. It's the words that we use to encourage and to comfort and to condone and to condemn, but it's not really what God said. So a couple of weeks ago, we talked about this phrase, God will never give you more than you can handle. And what we realized from Scripture is that it actually teaches God will never give you more than he can handle. Last week, we talked about this idea of try harder. You know, we're always trying harder. And what we learned from Scripture is that Jesus' approach to obedience and growing into Christ's likeness is not try harder, but come closer. This weekend, we're going to talk about You'll never get past your past. Now, this one's a little bit different than the other two because this is one that we wouldn't necessarily turn to Scripture and say, oh, right here it says, you'll never get past your past. Like we, we would never attribute that quote to God. We would never say, oh, God tells you you'll never get past your past. But I think that we still think that. We may not actually say that we believe that, but we live as though we think it's true. And we may not tell that to another person, but sometimes we treat them like we think it's true. We, we don't slap that on our t-shirts and our bumper stickers, but we do let it sink into our minds and saturate our hearts, and we still take that idea with us wherever we go. You'll never get past your past. We've been taught that we are the sum total of the choices that we've made. That we are what our experiences have made us. That in the the ledger of life, we are the balance of our failures and our successes. And we'll never get past our past. And then we walk around with so much baggage. The teacher that said we would never amount to anything. The parent that said that you were a disappointment. Disappointment the people who mishandled you, the moment that you were overlooked, the secret abuse, the desires in your heart that make you feel dirty, the abortion that you regret, the marriage that fell apart, the words that you said that you wish you could take back or the words that you held back that you wish you had said, the untimely death, Never get past your past. We let the labels define us and the failures um, paralyze us and the hurts keep us locked in prison. What did Jesus really say? I always think it's helpful for me to just take a moment and look at this book and look at the people that God used. What I love about this book is not that it's full of role models, but full of real people with real pasts that God did really awesome stuff with. I mean, we think about Jacob. His name literally meant swindler or deceiver, and God gave him a new name, Israel. Think about Rahab. Rahab was a brothel owner, and God delivered her and put her in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Joseph was hated by his brothers and sold into slavery, and God made sure that he rose to the level of prime minister in Egypt and eventually saved his family from famine. Matthew and Zacchaeus were tax collectors and traders to their people. And Jesus went and had dinner at their house and then made them a part of his mission. Peter was this loudmouth, obnoxious, cowardly fisherman. And Jesus said, no, your name isn't Simon, it's Peter. I'm giving you a new name because you're the rock on which I'm going to build my church. Every single one of these saints had a past. Every saint has a past. But the good news is that every sinner has the promise and the potential for a future. See, our past haunts us and hunts us, and for some of us, we remember the Genesis moment. We remember the moment where our past started, the moment on the playground, the conversation, the thing that you saw, the moment where you were wronged and hurt deeply. For others of you, it was just a process. It was a series of decisions or a series of events or a continuous barrage of negative conversation. And if we're not careful, we won't get past our past and we'll resign ourselves to thinking that that's what God intended. Here's what Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. In 2 Corinthians 5 17, he says this Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. Typically on a weekend, we'll take a a passage and we'll dissect it. But what we're going to do this weekend is different. We need to let this one small verse in Scripture dissect us. We need to let this sink into our minds, sink into our hearts, so it can begin to dismantle the labels and remove the shame and heal the wounds. I think that there are some statements in Scripture that take like a lifetime to unpack. And this is probably one of them. Anyone, anyone who belongs to Christ, anyone. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how far you've gone. Anyone who belongs to Christ. The world will lie to you. The enemy of your soul will lie to you. And your own desperate heart will lie to you and tell you that you are the one exception. But when God says, Anyone, he means you, anyone, says the old life is gone. It's gone. It's not like he just hides it or he tries to cover it up or just kind of turns away from it a little bit. It's gone. He obliterates the labels. He forgets the failure. He heals and restores the hurts and the wounds. A new life, a new life has begun Revelation 21, five, it says um, that, that God says, I am making everything new. It is just amazing to me that at the very end of history as we know it, in the beginning of eternity, the creator is still creating. Yeah. All things are new. I don't care what's in your past. Nothing can compare to what God is doing. I don't care what you've done, nothing can compare to what God has in store, nothing can compare to what God is creating. So why can't we get past our past? I think there are a few things that that just trip us up and hinder us, walls that go up. There are three things that I want to talk about this weekend that are in our past that we just have a hard time moving through. The first one is, is labels. The labels we've been given, it comes in the forms of of the names that we've been given, the expectations that have been placed on us, the continual playback that happens in our head, the words, the conversations that are on repeat in our minds. Uh, When I was growing up, I had a number of nicknames. Uh, In middle school, uh, I was known as Hurricane Heather. Now, this is because on one winter, I, in one winter I had a, a persistent cold. It never ended, and I guess every time I sneezed or I blew my nose, it sounded like the cyclonic winds of a hurricane, and so the kids called me Hurricane Heather, and then in high school I was known as Flip, and I was known as Flip because I was actually cast as one of the leads in the elementary school production, and uh, my name was Flip, and I was a floppy disk, I was Flip, my sister was flop. flop. Most of you don't even know what a floppy disk is. But that, that name continued with me through high school, even into college. There were people calling me Flip in college that had no idea where it came from. And I, you know, I've been called other names growing up. I, I've been called smart. I've been called a dork. Uh, I've been called athletic. I've been called clumsy. I've been called uh, very real. And I've been called inauthentic and disingenuous. I've been told that I obviously have the deepest love for Scripture, and I've also been told that I must have a deep disdain for Scripture. There are words that I've been called and names I've been given that are too painful and embarrassing to share publicly, and others that are just totally inappropriate to share from the pulpit. (laughs) What's labeled you? Sixteen stones may break our bones, and words absolutely hurt us. I think it begins with this. Um, we have to exchange the lies of the crowd for the truth of God. The labels that have been given to us, we've got to exchange the lies of the crowd for the truth of God. We've already seen that God is in the business of giving new names. He gave a new name to Jacob. He gave a new name to Simon. He called the, um, James and John sons of thunder. Jesus loved nicknames. Changed Abram's name to Abraham because you'll be the father of many nations. To Gideon, he said, you are a mighty warrior. To the outcast woman, he called her daughter. We've got to let God name us. And so when we come to these places where we tell ourselves, you're not lovable, we replace that with Jesus saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. You're a failure. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Replace, you're not uh, you're you're not very pretty, you're too ugly, you're too fat, you're too skinny, you're too tall, you're too short, you're too freckly, you're too pale, you're too dark. With you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Replace your two broken with the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives in you. Replace you're not man enough with you are now more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. We've got to let God name us and we've got to exchange the lies of the crowd for the truth of God. The second thing we have to do is we've got to trade expectations based on our past for God's purposes for our future. That's a mouthful. We've got to trade the expectations that come from our past, that are based in our past for the purposes of God for our future. All of us have had expectations placed on us. Some by other people, some are expectations that we've placed on ourselves. And when there are unmet or unrealized expectations in our lives, it stamps us and it marks us. Sometimes it's just, it's, it's, um, it's these expectations that we've placed on ourselves and for whatever reason, they're not met. Maybe, you know, we weren't good enough. We weren't smart enough. We didn't move quickly enough or we didn't wait long enough. Many of you came to the D.C. area to do one thing and you're doing something different. Some of you really thought that by this point in your life, You would have three kids and a dog, and you're still waiting on the spouse. (laughs) Sometimes it's the expectations that others have placed on you. You didn't really want to go into the family business. College wasn't your thing. And as much as you love your family, you just needed to move to a new place. The unmet expectations of others can mark us. Romans 8:28 says we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who've been called according to his purpose. You see God doesn't work according to my expectations. He doesn't work according to our expectations. He doesn't work according to your parents' expectations, according to your friends' expectations. He works according to his purposes. It's not about what others had planned for you or what you even had planned for yourself. It's about what God has planned for you. Trade the expectations based in your past for God's purposes for your future. And the third thing, amplify the voice of God over the voices in the crowd. Amplify the voice of God over the voices in your head. We've got to make sure that we listen to the right Voice, And I know that for me, my memory keeps some of the most vicious statements ever said to me on repeat. It's just on a continual play in my head. And I've got to make sure that the voices that are the loudest in my life don't keep me from hearing the voice that's the most important. A few weeks ago, I, I talked about the importance of, of underlining or marking any time you see a name or attribute of God's character in the Scriptures. Because it allows the character of God to come screaming off the pages of Scripture at us. But I would offer this, that that many of you also need to underline, mark, highlight, circle, anytime God says something about you. See, when we elevate the character of God, it elevates our worth. A good place to start is just the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians tells us over and over and over again who we are in Christ. Um, It says that we're holy, we're blessed, we're united in Christ, we're loved, we're chosen, we're adopted. And that's just in the first five verses of Ephesians alone. Amplify the voice of God over the voice in your head. Let God rename you. Live according to His purposes. Amplify His voice. No label is too sticky for God's grace. I think one thing I, I want to do this weekend is we, is we hit on each of these places in our past that it's hard to get past. I just want to pause and, and pray for people that are, are walking through that right now because there's a, there's a lot that we're going to cover this weekend. And I just want to make sure that we don't run through something that somebody really needs to just pause and deal with. So let's just pray right now for people that are dealing and struggling with the labels they've been given. Father, I ask that you would remove the stain, the shame, the stigma of every name we've been given that's not of you. I pray that you would whisper new names to people across all seven campuses, to those listening by podcast right now. God, that you would give names like Mighty Warrior, Faithful Servant, Beloved Daughter, Courageous Son. Rename us. Redefine us. In Jesus' name, amen. Labels are no match for God's grace. The second thing that we deal with in our past is our failure. 1 Timothy 1, 15 says this. This is Paul writing. He says, this is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul was a guy who was very zealous for his faith. He was a leader in his religion. He was on the way to Damascus to arrest, most likely to kill those who were followers of Jesus. When he had a vision of Jesus who knocked him off his high horse and said, you're going the wrong way. I'm actually going to send you to the ends of the earth to make more disciples. And he wound up writing 13 books in the New Testament. What Paul's life tells us, if nothing else, is that no failure is final or fatal. That failure is simply the proving grounds of God's grace. As we're trying to move past failure, we've got to do a few things. The first thing that I would encourage you to do if you're looking at failure tonight is stop running and start heading home. Stop running and start heading home. Paul was going the wrong way. Jesus just rerouted him. One of the stories that Jesus tells in the New Testament, and it's actually one of the longest stories that he tells is about the prodigal son. This man who lives in the extravagance and the abundance of the blessing of his father's house, and then he squanders it all on reckless living. And he finds himself in this this country that's really far away, and he's far away from all that his father intended for him to live in. And he realizes the only way that that the only place he can turn is back to his father. And so, reluctantly, embarrassed, he walks back home with his head low and his tail between his legs. And when his father sees him, his father runs to embrace him. Repentance. We we think a lot of times that repentance is like trying to stir up enough sorrow to gain God's pity. Or that repentance is about making sure that we feel sorry enough about what we did to earn God's forgiveness. Repentance is really just about turning around and coming home. That's all repentance is this weekend. If you're sitting here and you know there's a place of repentance that needs to happen in your heart, it's just about turning around and coming home. The second thing we need to do is we've got to stop Hiding and let God in. I think a lot of times the, the place that we want to go, um, when, when we're facing failure, when we've experienced failure, we just want to hide from God. Um, this is what happened in the very first failure in the fall, the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, hide from God. That's our first instinct to run and to hide. You know, some of us... Um, We haven't run away like the prodigal son. We're just hiding. It's like we're we're following Jesus close enough to see him, but we don't want to get close enough to him to be changed by him. And and some of us are here this weekend, and and we're a part of a a church gathering because we want to be close enough to the church to to check off a, a box of spiritual duties but we'll sit in these seats on the weekend, but we won't sit at the table of community during the week because we want to fulfill spiritual obligation, but we don't want to get close enough to be known. We tend to run into hiding in the moments that we most need God's grace to flood our lives. So quit hiding. Come out of the hiding and let God's grace flood into those places. Third, Drop the weight of shame, pick up the freedom of Christ. Drop the weight of shame and pick up the freedom of Christ. Forgiveness is not about us replacing um, our bad feelings with warm fuzzies. Forgiveness is about us living in freedom, the freedom that God gives to us. There's a big difference between godly sorrow and shame. Godly sorrow is is focused on the hurt that we caused another person or the offense that happened before God. Shame is focused on how bad a person we are. See, godly sorrow leads to repentance. Shame leads to hiding. Godly sorrow leads to forgiveness and freedom while shame leads to imprisonment. There's a big difference between godly sorrow and shame. Drop the shame. Let godly sorrow pierce your heart such that you seek forgiveness. But drop the shame because your failure does not define you. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how far you've gone. You cannot outrun the grace of God. There's no limit to God's grace. The bucket of grace never runs dry. If there were limits to God's grace we would have already found those. If there were limits to God's grace David would have found them. If there were limits to God's grace Peter would have found them. If there were limits to God's grace Paul would have found them. If there were limits to God's grace I would have found them. Failure is neither final nor fatal. Failure is the proving grounds for God's grace. No failure is too far for God's grace. Can we just take a moment now and pray for people this weekend that are facing failure or there's failure in their past and they just can't get past it. Father, I I pray tonight that you would just unleash buckets of grace in our lives. Father, we acknowledge we're sinners in need of a Savior and we want to come out of hiding and come home. As we drop our shame at the foot of the cross, we pick up your forgiveness. We receive your mercy. We trade our sin for your righteousness. We believe that the old life is gone. We step confidently, gratefully into the new life that you offer. In Jesus' name, amen. Failures are no match for God's grace. The third area that we face are hurts. We're defined by the labels that are given to us. Um, we're, we're entangled and we're haunted by our failures, and we're paralyzed by the wounds that others have given to us. It's not the sins we've committed, it's the sins that have been committed against us, or maybe just the times that we've been overlooked or mistreated or neglected. It's hurts the first thing that I would encourage us to do when we're trying to get past our past of hurts, don't lose sight of what Jesus did for you because of what someone else did to you. Do not lose sight of what Jesus did for you because of what someone else did to you. We talked earlier about the importance of elevating God's words in our lives. We also need to elevate his actions. What God did, perhaps the greatest miracle of all time, is God, most holy, almighty, coming in the skin of his own creation, subjecting himself to the care of his own creation, to redeem and rescue those that he loves. Jesus became sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. That is a huge deal. That's a big deal. I I don't know what someone else did to you. And I don't want to belittle that. I don't want to devalue that. I don't want to make light of that. Because there are people here this weekend who've been hurt beyond imagination. There are people here this weekend that have been hurt in ways that I cannot begin to fathom. But what I know Is that God's sacrifice is greater and His grace is stronger? Don't lose sight of what Jesus did for you because of what someone else did to you. The second thing we've got to do is we've got to replace bitterness with forgiveness, replace bitterness with forgiveness. There's two ways to live. One is to stay locked behind a door of resentment, regret, second-guessings, grudges. The other is to live in awe and wonder, even in the places of uncertainty. And the key that unlocks that door is forgiveness. Now, let me just say what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness does not mean coming to a place where you think, well, what happened was okay. Okay. Forgiveness doesn't mean that the pain is gone. It doesn't mean that you're okay. It doesn't mean that they're okay. It doesn't mean that what happened was okay. It doesn't mean that you forget. It doesn't mean that you're reconciled. Forgiveness just means that you give up the right to get back at another person. You give up the right to hurt another person. Forgiveness begins with giving up on getting even. And the reason we're able to forgive is because Jesus has forgiven us. The prerequisite for our offering forgiveness is not the other person's regret. It's God's forgiveness of us. Because forgiven people forgive people. And forgiving people are free people. The last thing we need to do is we need to let our scars tell stories of redemption. Let our scars tell stories of redemption. We all have scars. Some of them are physical. Some of them are emotional. Galatians six seventeen, Paul says, I bear on my body the scars that show I belong to Jesus. Paul loved talking about his scars. He does it over and over and over again. And he says these are actually trophies of God's grace. We all have scars. <laughs> my protege, uh, Andrew Keeney, has a scar in his hand Where earlier in his silly life, he thought it was a good idea to catch an arrow. (laughs) And he did. And he's got a scar to tell quite the story. Pastor Mark has a very large scar on his stomach from the emergency surgery that happened to, to repair ruptured intestines. He calls it his second birthday. My friend Emily Hendrickson has a scar on her knee. And when she tells you that story, she'll say, this represents the worst day of my life. But it's also the first day of my testimony. Let your scars be stories of God's redemption. Turn your scars into trophies of God's grace because no wound, no hurt is too deep for God's grace. Let's just pause for a moment and and pray for people that are wrestling with hurts this weekend. Father, we acknowledge people have wronged us, it wasn't right, and it hurt. We need the healing that only you can bring and perspective that only you can give. Flood our hearts with grace for forgiveness. Flood our hearts with confidence that you will work it all together for our good and for your glory. It's more than we can handle. So we look to you for mercy and healing. In Jesus' name, amen. Past hurts are no match for God's grace. You'll never get past your past. Jesus has already paid for your past. It's like we're standing at the checkout counter and he's already paid for it, bagged the stuff and left with him. He's paid for your past. Now, for some of you this weekend, getting past your past means you just need to buck up. You know what's right. You know who God has said that you are. You know that there's forgiveness and you just need to reach out and grab it. For many of us, it's a process. And it's going to take a long time. I'm under no illusion that when you walk out of the doors of our locations this weekend, that you're going to be okay. It could be a long time of grieving. It could be a long posture of prayer. It could be that God needs to do some hurt surgery. It'll hurt a little bit before it gets better. One thing I want to encourage you in is that you weren't designed to walk through this stuff alone. We've got several environments that we would encourage you to be a part of. One of them is is Celebrate Recovery. It's a group of people that are walking through all of this stuff, the labels, the failures, and the hurts together. You may need to just sit down with a counselor. If you do, email ryan at theaterchurch.com. It's my husband. He's a great guy. I promise he's awesome. He'll help you get connected with somebody. What most of us need are just the community of small groups to walk with us. We can get past our past because Jesus paid for our past. God's given you a new name. It just might take you a little while to grow into it. Those failures he's offered forgiveness for, just have to reach out and grab it. And the hurts, he can bring healing. And he can turn our scars into stories of redemption and trophies of grace. This time I, I want to ask our worship teams to come up across all of our locations. And our prayer teams. We're coming to the end of the series. Did God really say? And, And I believe that this is a moment when God wants to speak to you. God wants to say what it is that he really does say. And we've talked over the course of this series about what God hasn't said that we thought he said. And we've heard some things that he has said that we didn't realize he said. And if you don't hear anything else, if this is it, if three weeks, this is all you get, hear this. God loves you. There is no if, and, or, but. God loves you. I don't care where you are. I don't care what you've done. God loves you. It's more than you can begin to imagine. It's more than you can fathom. He became sin on our behalf so that we could become the righteousness of God. Across all of our locations, as the band begins to play, as the band begins to lead us, I just invite you down front. The front of our theaters, the front of our performance spaces, those are altars. These are places where we can drop our past, where we can experience new life, where we can say the old is gone, the new has come. We can let the creator keep creating in our lives because no label is too sticky for God's grace. No failure is too far for God's grace. No hurt is too deep for God's grace. No label failure or hurt is a match for the grace of God.